Welcome to episode 247 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Fast, Feast, Repeat, the comprehensive guide to delay, don't deny, intermittent fasting. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, we are so honored to be sponsored in part today by NutriSense. You guys hear us talk about continuous glucose monitors, aka CGMs, all the time on this show. And in particular, we love NutriSense, and here is why. NutriSense not only provides a 24-7 moving picture of your glucose values, they also offer a unique opportunity for self-discovery. So imagine this. You have a meal, and then you notice a spike in your glucose levels. So you think, hmm, that didn't go well. But here's the magic. Tomorrow, you can make a simple change. You can swap whatever you were eating for something else. Now you have real-time data to evaluate the impact. Maybe instead of that fruit, you have some vegetables. Maybe instead of that oatmeal, you have some yogurt. Maybe instead of that steak, you have some fruit. The continuous feedback loop that you can get with a NutriSense CGM empowers you to make quick, informed iterations with your meals. Maybe the change results in a completely normal glucose level, or maybe it's still a little bit high, but significantly better. Armed with this knowledge, you can refine your choices further, rapidly steering your glucose values back to the normal range. Without a continuous glucose monitor, honestly, you're just guessing and assuming that what you're doing is working. And when you go test your blood sugar levels at the doctor, that's just a snapshot of that one moment in time. It's not telling you what actually was happening throughout the day all the time. What makes NutriSense truly transformative is its ability to create lasting habits and intrinsic motivation. So instead of relying on generic advice from professionals or online sources or us, you have personalized real-time data from your own body. When you see the direct impact of your choices, it will resonate on a whole new level. This newfound awareness becomes the driving force, making it easier than ever to stay motivated and committed to your health journey. I promise you friends, it's like opening your eyes to the secret to lasting change because it gives you this empowering knowledge that you just didn't have before. So if you're looking to take charge of your health, gain real insights into your body and make sustainable, positive changes, NutriSense is your ultimate partner. Join them and us on this journey of discovery and unlock your full health potential. Get started today at NutriSense.com slash podcast and receive a $30 discount off of your first month, which includes two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support. That's nutrisense.com slash IF podcast for a $30 discount off your first month with two CGM sensors, free shipping and professional nutritionist support, which by the way, I get a lot of feedback on just how helpful that nutritionist support is. It's so easy. You can talk to them in real time in the app and they can really help you make sense of all the data that you receive from your continuous glucose monitor. NutriSense.com slash IF podcast. And I am just so grateful to NutriSense for helping support today's show. 
One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumer consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 247 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. And this is not really relevant anymore for listeners, but happy late Christmas, Jen. Well, thank you. Thank you. And happy new year to you and all the things. I know. When this airs, it will be 2022. Although last week, last week as well, I guess. Yep. Yep. This is our second new year episode, even though we're still recording it in the past. So <laughs> crazy how that works. Wonder how the future looks. How are things in your world? Anything new? Well, I just want to say thank you for being such a good 
well-prepared podcast host on your Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast because I just had a podcast interview last week and it was set up by my publisher. It's a big name person. I'm not going to say who because I don't want anybody to listen to it (laughs) because it's very clear this person didn't even read my book. But yeah, it was so very clear he, he had not read anything. First of all, he got the title wrong when he was saying it. Then he got the title of my other book wrong. Then he like said, oh, look, a book that lets you cheat. I'm like, oh my God, no. What? No. Then he's like, how many days a year can you cheat? I'm like, oh my God, why am I here? What am I doing? (laughs) It's really, really, everybody else I've ever talked to has been like, you could tell they read it, or at least they read enough of it to really understand what it was about. I think all he did was look at the cover. Maybe just a picture of the cover. I don't know. That's so funny. You know, that really goes to show you take the time, you read the book, you dig in with your guests. You know, I've been a guest on your podcast and I just wanted to say thank you for doing that. And I know your audience appreciates it as well. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of people that listen to his podcast. I hope not. It might be millions. I don't know. Yeah, I found that I actually think, because I listen to a lot of podcasts and I think the ones that really shine are the ones where they do do a deep dive. Like I talk about how I I listen to Rich Roll a lot and he as well really, really you can tell he like really reads all the books. And he's he's had that show for about I think six years or seven years. And he always talks about how like he never takes a vacation and and how he's like working on it just 24 seven. And I'm like, it makes me feel better because I'm like, okay, it is normal to like be doing this 24-7? Well, you know, if I have a guest on, you know, for intermittent fasting stories, most of my guests are just, you know, not authors. They're just, you know, intermittent fasters telling their stories. But sometimes, you know, I do have someone on there like, you know, Cynthia Thurlow with her new book that's coming out in March. And I read it before I talked to her about it. I mean, I did. I took that time and it just feels, it was just so funny because luckily it was a really short, it's like a 17 minute interview, which is really, it was like a segment of a bigger one. But I was like, well, this certainly isn't going to, nobody's going to be reading it after listening to this interview. (laughs) Anyway. That's so funny. Oh my goodness. It was funny, but the others I've had have been fabulous. You know, I'm grateful to all of them and I'm grateful for this one too, because maybe one person who hears it is be like, at least interested to look it up. I don't know. Were you able to redirect with your answer, like clarify? I tried. I did my best, but... Oh, it's funny. It is. It is funny. Crazy that you bring up Cynthia Thurlow. That's what I was going to talk about. Oh, I love her. In the intro, two things. I as well am reading her book right now because she's coming on my show as well. I'm really enjoying it a lot. I really like how she dives into the hormones, like all the specific roles of the hormones. And for listeners, it's geared towards women specifically for fasting. It's funny because when I first started reading it, I was like, okay. I I mean, it was really good, but I was like, I was wondering if I was going to learn anything new, but I do really appreciate her dive into hormones. I have not got to the part yet with the actual specifics of her plan. So I'm not sure how it lines up exactly with things we talked about on this show, but it does seem to be a very good resource for listeners. She's a bit more conservative when it comes to women and fasting than I am and you are. That's just important to know, like with with your cycle and, 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 you know, it might be like I am such a big eater and I know you like to eat a lot too. So I just have less fear that women aren't eating enough because, I, you know, if you're listening to your body, you're not going to over restrict. And so I, I don't know. I think she's more of a restrained eater, perhaps. 
So maybe if you ate like her, like if you're a restrained eater, I feel like you would worry more about women not getting it, being able to eat enough. Does that make sense? Like if you'd experienced it before, like through your lens, like someone who doesn't eat a lot is more of a restrained eater and they would realize that maybe you can't eat quote enough, you know, (laughs) in a certain window. I just had an epiphany. She's sort of like a blend. Well, she's more like me in that she does prescribe eating certain types of food in your window. So it's, she advocates like whole foods based and typically lower carb, but she talks about carb cycling as well. But she does talk about what foods to eat. I do think when you're eating, well, just from a pure calorie percentage, it is more likely if you're eating whole foods or eating like low carb specifically, I think that you might eat less, you know, because if you're eating all processed foods, it's really easy to eat thousands and thousands and thousands of calories. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, and I don't know anybody who like promotes that's the best way, the processed foods, you know what I mean? Not that they promote that, but... Well, I mean, some people do, I guess. Some of the, that's what they think IF is. True. Or if you just read the title of any of my books, you might think that's what I say too. Then you actually read it and go, oh, that isn't what Jen said. So like the difference would be, so like with Fast Feast Repeat, there's not a huge, huge focus, just as much as there could be. The whole feast section, right, is about like choosing, going away from ultra processed foods towards real foods, but when you're ready. Right. It's not to the extent of my book or Cynthia's book. Well, I'm not taking a side. Like you should be low carb. Everybody should be low carb. Right. Or everyone needs carbs, a lot of carbs, you know. Yeah. So maybe the type of person who's addressing both of those right at the beginning and more intensely could more likely undereat. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just thinking. Yeah. And I love her. She is more delightful in person than she is even, you know, virtually, you know, because I've, she's great. And, you know, I met her in Tampa when I was there in November. We do agree. She and I definitely agree that women should not over restrict. That's important, especially, you know, hormonally. It can, it can definitely affect our hormones. I'm just, I don't think you just shouldn't do fasting certain times of the month. You know, I never stopped fasting just because of what day of my cycle it was, but I may have had increased hunger and naturally because I got better at listening to my body, I naturally had a longer eating window. I actually remember joking in my Facebook group one time that every month I would have a day where I was starving and be like, why am I so hungry today? And every day, yeah, the next day, you know, there, boom, there we go, Aunt Flo or whatever you call it. But Every month it surprised me, but I always had that day of increased hunger where I ate more. And I was like, wow, that was surprising. Why am I so hungry? I'm like, oh, duh. (laughs) But I always listened. I didn't like, you know, feel like I was failing. I just, if I have different hunger, I always listen. So I'm really excited to talk to her about that specifically when she comes on my show. Like for me, I would never want to, because I do pretty much the same eating window every night. I would not for me personally, I would not want to change my fasting and eating windows for my cycle. Like that would just, honestly, that would just add more stress to everything. I'd rather just eat more in my eating window when I'm hungrier. Like that's how I would compensate. I've always just been very like, even when I was like trying to have a five-hour window every day, I talked about this before as well. You know, I like made a goal that like, it was like it was 2016, June of 2016. It's my goal. I'm going to have a perfect month where every eating window will be five hours or less. 
well, that didn't happen in June. And I was like, I'm going to do it in July. Didn't happen in July. I've never had a month of my life where every month or every day was five hours or less because I just am like, oh, you know, oh, we're out. Let's go out to eat. And I'll have two meals that day. And maybe it's an eight hour window. And I'm more of like a social kind of today, I'm going to open my window wider or I'm hungry today. I'm just going to go ahead and eat now. So I just toss those in. And I, I think that's been helpful over time. I've never been overly rigid, even when I tried to be other than there were like 10 weeks in the spring of 2015, when I was trying to get to goal that I was a little more strict for those 10 weeks. I don't even know if I was perfect for those 10 weeks. I doubt it, knowing myself, but that's been a long time ago. For me, it's it's not that I'm being, because I was just thinking about it more, like super rigid. It's just that like the way I have my life set up, like I'm working the same amount every day up until I eat. So like opening up the window earlier doesn't really make sense for me. And then it's not like I can eat later because I go to bed. <laughs> so it like takes care of itself. It's like self-contained. I'm just a little more spontaneous and flexible just because that's my personality, I guess. I, I don't do well with overly rigid. Like if Will came home right now and said, you know, I don't normally open my window right now, but it's a little earlier in the day. Although, I mean, I totally could. If he came home and said, hey, I really want to go blah, blah, blah here with you. Would you go with me? I, I would be like, sure. I think that's one reason that our show works so well, like, because we we're able to cover a lot more approaches. Like it works so well that we are like that because you cover all the people that are more fluid and, you know, like what you just said. And then I'm the people that are like <laughs> the same window all the time. On the flip side of that, when I was that 10 weeks, when I was really trying to get to my goal, I was a little more rigid. You know, if you're, if you have a goal to lose weight, if you're too flexible, it just probably isn't going to happen. You you may need to tighten up for, you know, for the weight loss phase. But again, if I look back to my history of intermittent fasting when I really committed in 2014, and now here we are when this airs in 2022, right? That's a long time. 2014 to 2022 is a lot of years. I was a lot more mindful for the very brief period of that time when I was trying to lose weight. But once I got to my goal, that's where the flexibility came in. You know, if my honesty pants get tight, I'm like, okay, time to, you know, tighten up my window a little bit. And it's the ebb and the flow that really make it work long term. The reason I was bringing up Cynthia was two part. I was going to talk about something else, but this actually, while we're talking about it, this actually relates completely to our first question. Do we want to go ahead and do that one? Sure. I really like it. Like, dovetails into it. We have a question from Bethany and her subject is food, not enough, too much, question mark. So great. <laughs> she says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I absolutely love your podcast. I have learned so much and I look forward to listening every day. Like most listeners, I have tried several diet programs, including intermittent fasting done incorrectly. I came across your podcast by accident a few weeks ago and I'm so happy I did. I've lost 10 pounds and several inches since I realized putting stevia in my coffee was hurting me, not helping me. Clean fasting makes all the difference. I'm on episode 20, but I've been listening nonstop to try to get caught up. So I apologize if this is something you have already covered in your future podcasts. I will definitely skip ahead to hear the answer. People post questions on the Facebook page about not seeing results. And in the comments, people are asking, are you eating enough? What do they mean by this? What happens if you don't eat enough? And if you are not counting calories, how are you supposed to know if you are eating enough? Right now, I'm doing a 18-6, opening my window from 1.30 to 
I have a slow paced job and I get bored. So I find myself watching the clock, waiting for 1.30, not so much to eat, but to have something to do. When I do eat, I don't have a full meal. I try to bring a veggie fruit and maybe some crackers for my lunch slash snack, but then I struggle to make it home to eat dinner with my family around 6.30. I don't want to increase my lunch or snack because most of the time our dinner is Chick-fil-A drive through which should start their own weekly delivery box, LOL. I thought maybe I won't eat during the day and just wait until dinner. But when I tried doing one meal a day, a couple of times I ate everything in sight when I got home, chocolate, candy, chips, everything easy, but not healthy. I have two little kids, by the way. I want to work my way to eating one meal a day, but I guess my body is just not ready right now since I have only been doing IF the correct way for a few weeks now. I'm seeing results and I don't want to backtrack due to eating too much during my window. I appreciate any suggestions you can offer and I look forward to your reply. There's a lot in there. I wonder what Facebook page she's on. Of course, I haven't been on Facebook since March of 2021. So wow, it's almost a year of being off of Facebook. I think this was a really old question. Old. It's really old. Okay. that That's what I was wondering. And I wonder who's asking, are you eating enough? Because I don't think that's the right question. The right question is actually very similar. The right question is not, are you eating enough? It's, are you restricting too much? Which sounds like the exact same question, but I think it isn't. Restricting too much does mean you're not eating enough, but I would think about your eating window and what you're doing within it. And like, for example, When Bethany says she wants to work to one meal a day, it sounds to me like she's thinking one meal a day is like 23-1 or something. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Neither you nor I, Melanie, eat one meal a day in a one-hour window. We have a longer period of eating. And so we, we stretch our eating out in one way or another over a longer period of time than like just an hour. So... I feel like if you give yourself a long enough window, like 18.6 or 19.5 or 24, and you allow yourself to eat intuitively within it, you're not going to fit in two full meals in a six-hour window, probably, two full meals. It's probably going to be, you know, like one big hearty meal or multi-course kind of a thing over that period of time. I would think you're probably not overly restricting if you're in that period of time and eating to satiety. But it's when you try to really force it into a small period of time and you do that day after day after day after day, that's when it becomes restrictive. You might be eating, quote, enough in that 23-1 paradigm, enough to maintain your weight, but your metabolism will downregulate over time if you do the same thing day after day after day, and especially if it's a little bit restrictive for your body. So when we say not seeing results, like if you're not eating enough, you're not going to gain weight. I mean, we can agree on that, right, Melanie? You don't gain weight by not eating enough. I don't know. People will say that they're eating severely restricted diets and gaining weight, and you can't, I don't know. I mean, that could happen If you have over time slowed your metabolism to the point, like let's say you did a 500 calorie a day diet for a year, I'm just, you know, hopefully no one would ever do that. But let's say you did, you ate 500 calories a day for a year and now you eat 700 calories a day. Could you start gaining weight? Yes, because your body has adjusted to 500 calories and your metabolism is slowed. I mean, that's an extreme example. So could you gain weight on an extremely low calorie diet? Yes. But that's only if you've really slowed down and now you're eating more. Does that make sense? I don't know if if there are 
actually taking in 700 calories. I don't, I know that's a very severe example. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the reason I think it's like actually really worth discussing is I think people think about it that way and they, they think that their metabolism could slow enough to the point where they could gain weight on like 700 calories. I have heard from people who have gained weight on like a thousand, like, and, and these are not people who like don't know how to count calories. People who have a long-term diet history and they are used to counting calories and they know how to count calories and they're really have been restrictive for a long time. They do have to keep lowering, lowering, lowering. And so that gets to the point where they actually could gain weight on a very small number of calories, like a thousand, you know, because their body has downregulated to the point. But so you you can fix your metabolism if it gets downregulated. So, you know, if you're not eating enough, as, as we just kind of said, if you're keeping it in a very restrictive window day after day after day for a long enough period of time, you can plateau there. But that is absolutely not where we are right now with you, Bethany, because you just started a few weeks ago. So I don't think that's time to downregulate your metabolism. The key is really just listening to your body and making sure you're not over-restricting. You kind of would get an idea. If you've dieted at all before in the past, think about when you did a restrictive diet and how much food you were eating. And if you're eating like way less than that now, over the you know in your eating window than you used to eat over the course of the day, that's a sign you might be over restricting. Yes, I have a few thoughts, and it kind of ties into what we were talking about earlier with you know how easily do people under eat. I do agree that not eating enough is actually very different from over restricting. Like it sounds like it would be the same thing, but it's really not though, right? I'm glad you get it. It's not because, and I guess we'd even need to define what under eating is, but let's say that under eating is not eating the amount of calories. Well, I don't know. Cause, cause you do have to under eat to lose weight in a way. Well, but if that's what under eating is, that's not the same thing as over restricting, which is, you know, not like providing way too much of a restriction to your plan. They are different. And what actually something that I was thinking about, it wasn't about eating. It was about, it was a study about runners and their exercise levels compared to if they had amenorrhea from it. So if they lost their cycle from running and it did not relate to the amount of exercise they were doing. So like everybody could exercise the same amount intensely. That was not the factor for if they lost their cycle, it was their body weight. I bring that up because I think the analogy or the comparison to fasting would be that, so you could be doing a lot of fasting or quote under eating, but if you're actual body is not in a baseline state of stress, which I think the equivalent is like in the running study, it's like the people who are underweight, that might be okay for you. I just had an epiphany, a huge one. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. It's only overly restrictive if your body perceives it as being overly restrictive, in which case it would downregulate your metabolism. But if you're fast and clean, your body's tapping into your fat stores well, and you're switching up your window day to day, some days you eat more, some days you eat less, your body is not going to perceive it as being overly restrictive. You're well-fueled from your fat stores. But the definition of overly restrictive, it's not really something we can say. Like, here's the number that's overly restrictive. Exactly. And like, so for example, in that study I just talked about with the runners, 
you know, so these are intense endurance athletes training. They're doing a lot of running, but it's, again, it's the women who are too low body fat. Those are the ones that it affected their cycle. So they didn't have the body weight to support that intense running. And so the body is perceiving it as too restrictive compared to the women who had the adequate fat stores. So the body didn't perceive that same amount of running as restrictive. And I think you could apply that to fasting as well. And it also brings it to my second point, which is ironically, I was talking about how people following a whole foods diet are more likely to quote under eat. Ironically, that actually might be for some people less quote restrictive because if it's more nutrient dense, like the body is looking for nutrients. And so you could eat less calories wise, but if it's coming from what your body needs, so like higher protein, really nutrient dense, like our body is looking for nutrients. So that's going to send a completely different signal to our body than eating the same amount of calories of processed nutrient depleted food. So I think that's a huge thing. So like Bethany's question of like, you know, how much to be eating for me, the focus isn't even calories. It's the like the nutrients, you know, I've said it before, our bodies don't count calories, they count nutrients. Everything I've ever seen in the literature kind of reinforces that. And I actually talked more about that in Cleanish. Did you get your copy of Cleanish, by the way? I did. I thought it got to you. I thought it did. I thought it did. Isn't it so pretty? It is beautiful. I love it. But there's a section in there, I can't remember which chapter it's in, where I talk about a study they did with with little kids back in like the 1930s and how they they ended up being master nutritionists who designed the perfect foods to, you know, their perfect diet when the adults just left them alone and let them eat what they wanted to eat. That they were looking for the nutrients their bodies needed. And if you don't feed them the right things, like what Bethany says here, she tried doing one meal a day a couple of times. Now, again, it's early on, so she's probably not well-fueled during the fast. So that's why she's so hungry when she starts eating because her body is like, well, I am not well-fueled. I need a lot to eat. But then she's eating chocolate, candy, and chips, which is also not nourishing her body. And then you're just like, your body's like, that wasn't it, that wasn't it, that wasn't it. And you just keep going in a frenzy of overeating. The majority of the time she says they're eating Chick-fil-A, which that could be a lot of different things. But I would encourage her to try, if she is doing, for example, a one meal a day window, which we just discussed, is not necessarily a frenzied one hour eating experience. It could be starting at 6.30 dinner and much longer, or it could be even, you know, a snack before dinner, but later. So, you know, like five to nine or something. I would encourage you, Bethany, instead of eating chocolate candy chips, because when you're in that hungry state, ready to open your window, chocolate candy chips is not providing what your body needs at that moment. It's not giving you any of it. Jen just said this. One, you're going to eat all that. It's not giving you what your body is looking for. So you're going to still be hungry. Two, it's going to be really messing with your insulin levels. So you're going to get, you're probably just going to crave even more because it's going to give you massive blood sugar swings. So if you instead open your window with a very nourishing meal, you know, maybe... I don't want to disrupt your entire habit because it probably works well to pick up Chick-fil-A. But if you are able to find another dinner alternative that is possibly more nutrient-dense and more whole foods-based and opening with that intense nutrition, especially high protein, try that and see if it's the same experience of frenzy and feeling like you're overeating and feeling like you can't get full. It'll probably be a very different experience. Like maybe you can go 
to Costco and get rotisserie chickens or something like that. I think it'll be quite possibly a different experience. Or, oh, Green Chef (laughs) is one of our sponsors today. Not planned. I'm so excited. I love it when this happens. Something like Green Chef would be probably amazing for you. So listen to the ad that we run for them in today's episode. We have an amazing offer for them. It's The offers just get better and better. That's a really good offer. Yeah. I want to pop in and say real quick that Bethany did say that when she opens at 1.30, she's usually having a veggie and fruit. When she opens earlier, she's opening with veggies and fruit, more nutrients. Then if she waits later, she's choosing those quick, you know, chocolate candy chips kind of a thing or the drive-through. So it really is about, I think, being prepared, like you said. Yes. It's so interesting because people think that it's a whole lot more of a hassle or time to quote, eat healthy or to like change to that sort of dietary lifestyle. But it does take some time in the beginning because you got to sit down and like Jen said, you got to be prepared. So you have to figure out what the plan is that's going to make this materialize. But once you find the plan that works for you and your family, it doesn't have to be hard. Right. You know, the saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? You've heard that saying before. I like that. Yeah. If you fail to plan, just plan to fail. And I mean, you know, not all the time, obviously, but but it's true with me with food. If I let myself get really hungry and there's nothing nutritious to eat, I'm going to grab the quick stuff too because I'm hungry now. I'm just grabbing it. I've done that before. But when you have something, you know, in the fridge, like my Green Chef meal, I can go to that. I don't have to drive through somewhere because I'm like, we're having this and it's quick. I don't have to think about it. I love Green Chef. I mean, I literally do love Green Chef. (laughs) And I just checked our offer right now for Green Chef. So again, all the details will be in this spot, which will probably air later in the episode. So greenchef.com slash ifpodcast130 and the code ifpodcast130 will get you $130 off, which is awesome. They just provide access to really, you know, nutritious meals. And you can choose if you want keto or paleo or vegan or vegetarian or gluten-free. And they use organic ingredients. Or balanced living, which is what I do. (laughs) I use the balanced living plan, which isn't any of those. I always say it when I'm talking about it because that's the plan that I choose is balanced living. I think they're trying to really just promote people like me that are balanced living. We're just going to pick foods we like. If you're keto, for example, you want to know they have keto. Yeah. Like I already know what I'm going to be eating when this podcast comes out. The week this podcast comes out, this is what I'm having from Green Chef. Cheesy Italian meatloaves. It's got broccoli and it's got bread. Crispy chicken with honey drizzle. It's got mashed potatoes and like this vegetable slaw and butternut squash chili. I just looked on my app. Those are the things I'm getting. What I really like about them as well is you can really make it your own. So as you guys know, I'm I eat more simply. So like the I just got my box and it had like a barramundi, it had salmon and a chicken dish and the ingredients are all separate so you can then choose, you know, if there's something that doesn't work for you, you know, not to include that in the dish. So I was able to really make it my own, which was super cool. One thing about Green Chef that's so great is a lot of the stuff is like pre-prepped. They had something I made recently and it had already they'd already diced up like the I can't remember, was it like sweet potato or something? It was already diced up. Dicing up a sweet potato is not always easy, but it was already diced up and I just had to dump it in. But I mean, it was real sweet potato, but there it was already diced and just the exact amount that I needed. I think Bethany 
definitely report back. Again, I, I do think this was a really old question. <laughs> yeah, because if it talks about Facebook, because that was March, that's been a long time. So sorry it took so long. Bethany, you've probably figured it all out by now. I know. <laughs> so let us know. The other reason I was bringing up Cynthia Thurlow was she introduced me to a woman who has a company called So Well. Her name is Alexandra Sowa. I wonder if she decided to call it So Well sort of related to her last name or if that was not related at all. What's super cool is, so she's actually an MD and I had a phone call with her recently and I'm super excited. I'm going to bring her on my show to talk all about her company. But what I love is Jen and I are always talking on this show about the super importance of testing your insulin levels and how none of the companies we currently work with, like at home ordering, provide insulin and doctors just don't readily prescribe an insulin, a fasted insulin test. So she's all about that. Her kits are at home tests, kind of like with Zoe or with Everly Well or Let's Get Checked. They send a kit to your house and you just do a finger prick yourself. And I'll make a redirect. So you can go to ifpodcast.com slash so well, S-O-W-E-L-L. And so what's really cool is they have two kits right now, but they're going to be launching a new one soon that I can tell you about, but their weight biology kit. So I'm literally holding the kit in my hand because she just sent it to me, which was super kind. The weight biology kit, it tests your HbA1c, your glucose, your insulin, cholesterol panels. So like HDL, triglycerides, LDL, your TSH for your thyroid, your vitamin B12, it factors in your BMI, and then it calculates your HOMA IR, which is what we've been talking, or I, I think I've been talking about it a lot. And that's basically a ratio of your, your insulin and your glucose. And that can actually give you a really good picture of your metabolic health. So that's super exciting. And then they also have their PCOS biology kit that's coming soon. And that is going to be specifically to help people who have PCOS, which is super cool. And then the third one that they're coming out with, I think she said in the new year, it's going to be, I'm so excited about this. It's going to be just a HOMA IR test. So that glucose insulin measure. And it, I think they're going to have it like on a subscription type basis thing. I'm not really sure, but she made it sound like it's like you get it monthly. So you can keep track of your HOMA IR. So very, very exciting. It's such a great resource. And I can't wait. And I talked to her on the phone, like I said, and she was super great. And she just really wants to help women have access to this testing. And I mean, literally that's testing the things that I think we both believe that you need to be testing. So we have a code. I'm not sure what the discount is exactly, but if you go to ifpodcast.com slash so well, that's S-O-W-E-L-L. And you can use the coupon code ifpodcast and that will get you a discount. I will clarify with her what that discount is and put it in the show notes, which by the way, the show notes are at ifpodcast.com slash episode 237. So yay for great resources for listeners. Yeah, that sounds great. So I'm excited to have her on the show and really, you know, dive deep into um, what she's doing. So, all right, shall we go on to our next question? Yes. And I'm going to tell you also, this one must be really old because I know this girl 
this lady, I should say. She is <laughs> she is 53 now. She's in my group. She's on my community. Anybody, if you go to jenstevens.com slash community, you can find my community. But Rotunda, and I'm not really sure how she pronounces her name because, you know, we're all typing stuff. It's <laughs> We're not saying things or talking to each other out loud. So I'm not sure how she pronounces her name. In my head, I've always said Rotunda. How would you say it, Melanie? I would say Rotunda. Rotunda. Well, she is in in my community, and um, like she posted 25 days ago a follow-up that she is now 53. So when she typed this this email, she was 51. So we know it's been a while since she put it. So I know this question has already been answered in her life. She's probably, I'm certain she's not doing this anymore. But she says, can I, can I jump in really quick? Yeah. I want to clarify something for listeners about that. I'm super glad you mentioned that. If listeners are curious... So we have every question ever submitted to our show in this massive document. (laughs) It's very long. I'm telling you this, listeners, because I want you to know, if you submitted a question a long time ago and you haven't heard it on the show yet, go ahead and send it again because the way I've been prepping the show now is as new questions come in, when I really like them, I just put them into our prep document to prep. And then it's only when new questions don't fill up an episode that I, like when I think we don't have enough questions, then I go back to this massive long document and I pull out, I don't even look at dates. I just pull out, you know, something. So that's what happened with this, for example. I say that so that feel free to submit again because you're more likely to get on the show if you submit now. We changed how we did it. Yeah. I used to like every time go through the whole document and like pick ones out, but I just... That's too much. So if you want your question on the show, submit now, even if you submit it before. Other tips to get your question featured, as many details as possible without making it long. It's the whole writing thing of like, you know, saying the maximum amount in the shortest amount possible. That's a golden way. So as many details, but not like a novel. Like I've been doing IF for, uh, you know, six weeks. Why have I not lost weight? That is not enough information. (laughs) We do not know. Yes. (laughs) So we love specific, we love details, we love personality, but also if it's like, you know, 10 pages. Yeah, we don't have time to read 10 pages. All right, so here's her question from two years ago. (laughs) She said, hi, and then maybe I'll read what she just wrote 25 days ago that you would like to hear. Does it relate to this? Yes, it's really good. I love it. She answers her own question. It really kind of, okay. So she said, hi, I just learned about you and your podcast today. This was two years ago. So she said, I listened to episode two. I couldn't find episode one today during my lunch break. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've purchased Delayed on Deny and I can't wait to start reading it. I've been experimenting with IF for about a year now, off and on. I like how I feel while IFing. I've been practicing the 16-8 approach. I think I may need to up my game to a five-hour eating window as I'm a 51-year-old perimenopausal woman. As of late, I've been following Jorge Cruz's method, which includes tricking my fast with healthy fats by drinking bulletproof coffee in the morning. Jorge recommends a macronutrient balance of 20% protein, 30% carbs, and 50% fats. Considering your success, I was wondering, do you too pay attention to the macronutrients you consume, specifically complex and simple carbs? So fast forward to now, two years later, I'm not going to read the whole thing. She said, Jen, you have no idea how much you have changed my life prior to stumbling upon your podcast just over two years ago. (laughs) 
she said. She said, my life has changed drastically. I used to be a cereal dieter starting a new diet every Monday. You know, again, she was looking for Jorge Cruz's, like what he said to do. You know, that's that's that cereal dieting. I did that too. Well, how does he say to do it? I'm going to do it like that. But listen to what she says. This gives me goosebumps. She said, starting a new diet every Monday. They never worked. I cannot tell you how many diet books I bought. Of the 53 years of my life, I'm confident I've spent a good 34 years dieting unsuccessfully, not enjoying my life. Since I started IFing, the dieting chains have been broken, and I've slowly lost 53 pounds over the past two years. I don't care that it has taken me two years. The weight comes off and it stays off. Best of all, I'm not on a diet. I'm free. Thank you so much. I'm forever in your debts. I'm pretty sure Rotunda has figured out that. No, we do not tell you what macronutrient balance you need to eat. We're all going to be different with that. And also, even if I knew what my perfect balance was, I still don't want to calculate it. I just want to eat delicious food, trusting my body to let me know when I need more protein or if I haven't had enough. If my food isn't delicious, it probably needs more fat. And I know also she knows that you absolutely can't, you know, quote, trick a fast with the, you know, the bulletproof coffee. I'm, we're both definitely thumbs down on that being fasting because that's a lot of energy you are consuming. So I know she's not drinking that anymore. Well, that's super exciting. Isn't it exciting? I'm so glad I was able to pull it up and that she had such a great, I mean, now we know two years later, she's done great and she's no longer worrying about the bulletproof coffee or counting her macros. She's just lost 53 pounds since she initially wrote in two years ago. I'll provide an answer separate from her experience, just talking about how I perceive macronutrients, like whether or not I focus on macronutrients. Two things I really like about macronutrient-based approaches. And I don't I don't count macronutrients like the way people count calories or the way people count macronutrients. I don't do any of that. However, I think if people are taking a macronutrient approach, it can work for a lot of people, especially if they're focusing on protein. So especially for people who, and again, I'm going to do this a little bit separate from Rotunda's question and just talk about the concept in general, especially some people who are trying to lose weight and not feeling full or, or not losing weight, like focusing on protein as the center of your meal can be very, very effective for a lot of people for weight loss and for satiety and for health. So, and I think What's funny is I've always eaten that way intuitively. Like I just crave protein and I eat high protein, but some people, I don't think it's intuitive at all and it doesn't necessarily occur to them. So for some people, they might benefit from making a conscious decision to focus on protein as the center of their meal. And that can be really, really effective. And I've done some episodes on it. So if you check out my conversation with Ted Naiman and William Shufelt, that's at melanieavalon.com slash protein. We talk about it. You can check out my first episode with Rob Wolf, I believe, at melanieavalon.com slash sacred cow. We talk a lot about protein. I will be having an episode coming up with Dr. Gabrielle Lyon in the future that's going to be about protein. So be on the lookout for that. I also recently recorded with Maria Emmerich, but that's not out yet, but that will be good as well. That's part one is that just focusing on protein, other macronutrients aside, focusing on protein can be a great route to go. And like 20% protein would be much less. That's a much lower protein proportion than what people could be focusing on, I think. Second macronutrient thing is that, 
especially if weight loss is your goal or metabolic health is your goal, having a macronutrient paradigm can work for a lot of people. So not counting anything per se, and I feel like a broken record because I talk about this all the time, but doing either low carb or low fat can work for a lot of people. Different things might work for different people at different times, but I do think there is a benefit to focusing on macronutrients. And the reason I started focusing on macronutrients actually is I had an epiphany. I basically had an epiphany. I've talked about this a lot on different shows, but I had this epiphany where I was like, hmm, I can look at macronutrients and I can take in certain macronutrients and I can pretty much guarantee that I won't gain weight. And if anything, I'll lose weight. I'm not prescribing what I did when I had this epiphany because I don't think it's that healthy. I basically was realized that if I just ate protein, for example, and drink wine, um, <laughs> that it was pretty much unlikely I would gain weight. And if anything, I would lose weight. And it, especially if combined with fasting and that, that worked really, really well. But that was just the realization that I had that you can focus on macronutrients and you don't have to count as like a single calorie. And it, it's kind of like a, I mean, if, if there's a hack, I think that's more of a hack than this whole drinking fat while fasting. Like I think macronutrients are in a way sort of like a quote hack. It kind of reminds me of something I think Peter Atia once said, he was talking about dieting, but he was saying, basically, you really just have to monitor one thing. Like you can count calories or you can count macronutrients. He was saying you can restrict one of three things and likely see benefits, calories, macronutrients, or time, which for a lot of people, restricting one of those can possibly have an effect. Well, it did for me. I only restricted by time when I was, you know, losing my... 75, 80 pounds, I just did time. I wasn't counting macronutrients or calories. I just did it with time. And then on the flip side, I know we're not fans of calorie counting, but if you really, really did severely, restrictly count your calories, that can work. It's not sustainable and you'll probably gain it back and it probably won't be fun, but it can work. And then the same with macronutrients. If you're really, really intense, monitoring your macronutrients, even without the the fasting or the the calories, that can probably work too. I think the magic is finding the thing to focus on that works for you and just really making it work for you. And so, you know, us and a lot of our listeners, for us, it's fasting. I like to add in the macronutrients as well for the health benefits of focusing on the macronutrients that fuel my body, fuel my body. And then also I really don't have to ever worry about overdoing it in my eating window because of focusing on macronutrients. So that was a long answer, but those are my thoughts. All right. Are we ready for the next one? Sure. Okay. So we have one more question from Katie. The subject is IF, autophagy, and scar tissue. And Katie says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I so appreciate your podcast and all the work, research, and love that you put into each episode. I have been doing one meal a day with clean fasting for a little over a month, and I love it. I was doing about 16.8 for a couple of years without knowing it was a thing. I just knew I had weight loss results if I didn't eat after about four. I have been in the normal weight range for a couple of years after losing 90 pounds, but a recent bout with breast cancer led me to IF for the health and autophagy benefits. My question is whether you have ever heard about IF-induced autophagy having any effects on scar tissue. The reason I ask is that I just noticed today that my scars are remarkably different. I am 58 and I've had a big ropey keloid scar on my side since kidney surgery as a teenager. Well, it has suddenly reduced to just a thin white scar. 
and my breast cancer surgery scar has almost completely disappeared. The surgeon even remarked a few days ago that it was pretty amazing. I really attribute it in great part to IF, and I was curious if you have ever heard of this effect, presumably due to ramped up autophagy. Thanks for all you do, Katie. And before we answer it, just sending you love and healing, Katie, with your breast cancer. I'm sorry. Oh, absolutely. So I did a lot of research on this one, but Jen, do you have thoughts? Okay. You have a lot of research, so I'm just going to give you very quick, short thoughts. The answer is yes. If you go back to, gosh, I can't remember what episode it was, Donna Doobie on intermittent fasting stories. If you just type in intermittent fat into any Google, intermittent fasting stories, Donna Doobie, D-U-B-E is how you spell her last name. The episode will pop up. But if you listen to her episode, she she's older than, than me. She's older than you, Katie. She talks about she had a C-section scar that was thick and ropey. I mean, for decades, like 30 years, you know, after her kids, 30 years, she had this thick, ropey C-section scar. And after doing IF, it was like exactly like you said, a thin white scar. So I can't think of another single cause for a scar to disappear other than autophagy, knowing that we know that autophagy breaks down junky proteins that we don't need anymore. And what else would a scar be except you know, tissue we don't need anymore. So to me, that's the most plausible explanation. Okay. So this was super interesting to me. I went down the rabbit hole. I was not able to find many, actually really any studies on autophagy and scars that were there that had been there and then having them go away through autophagy later on. Like knowing how they fund scientific studies and why they do them, I can't imagine anyone would actually do one because it would take such a long time and it's a very specific thing, right? It doesn't sound like something they would study. But what's really interesting, I did find studies on fasting before or after wounds and how it affected the healing process, which relates to the scars. And I also learned all about scars. I learned, this had never really occurred to me, Jen, but do you know the difference between like scars from a surgery and then like fibrosis? No. So scars from a surgery is like, it's done. So like you had a wound, the surgery or whatever you had, then a scar forms, like the process is done and the the scars purpose is to, it's the healing process. And then, you know, eventually the scar should go away over time. So fibrosis, and it never really occurred to me what fibrosis was. Fibrosis is actually when the body is perpetually, it's like, it's messed up. Like it's perpetually creating new scar tissue. The scar tissue forming process should be done and it just keeps creating scar tissue. So I thought that was really, really fascinating. And what's interesting, and, I, and the reason it's important to talk about this is autophagy has different effects on those two different things. So I found a study called Fasting Before or After Wound Injury Accelerates Wound Healing Through the Activation of Pro-Angiogenic SMOC1 and SCG2. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. But it was basically looking at fasting's effect on wound closure, scar formation, collagen deposition, skin cell proliferation, and other things. I believe this was in rats, but they did find that fasting patterns well, they looked at before and after wound injury, that it helped with the wound healing process. So it it was definitely better for like the scar formation and all of that. So that was 
promising. They didn't really talk about autophagy specifically. When I went down the autophagy rabbit hole, I mostly, that's how I ended up in this fibroid world because all of the studies on autophagy and scarring was mostly related to fibrosis and fibroids. The interesting thing was it's hotly debated. As to whether it helps or not? Yes. (laughs) I'm just laughing so hard because I think the two people who have now told us about, and I've heard from more than two, that their scars went away would would not debate it. Well, this is different. I know it is, but still, I'm just laughing. So this is not the scars. I know. I, I get it, but... I'm just laughing in general because they would hotly debate that this would happen for our people too, right? Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and I'll further clarify so I don't confuse listeners. So basically the reason it's debated is the role of autophagy and fibrosis. So in the body perpetually creating new scars, some studies show that like inhibiting autophagy actually increases fibrosis. So some of the studies find that autophagy actually plays a role in in a way feeding that process. Listeners, I tried to read all of the studies more, but they were really, really long. But the, the takeaway that I think I was taking from them was that, especially since like I just said that the fibrosis process is the body unnecessarily creating scar tissue when it really actually shouldn't be, autophagy can actually be used to help that because it can be feeding that process. On the flip side, some of the studies do show that it helps reduce fibrosis. So it's very confusing. All of that to say that's different than a scar on your skin, which I could not find studies about. But I think anecdotally, we do see that, like Jen just gave the example, I've noticed it in myself. A lot of people have reported it, and it makes sense in theory. I think the important thing, though, to focus on, especially for her question, is even if autophagy is not the main mechanism, we see it happening. So I don't think you even need to necessarily know exactly why. But I think we can just anecdotally say that we see it with fasting and scar tissue. And I mean, she even saw it. And also, last thing, especially since she was fasting before, that study I talked about that was looking at fasting before after wound healing, it found that both helped. It found that before was more effective. So especially since she was fasting before these procedures, you know, it might have been even more so that that pre-fasting prior to the procedures that created a better healing process in the first place that more allowed for a scar that faded. And then on top of that, you know, after can help with the the wound healing. I just think, you know, the fact that her scar faded from when she was a teenager is just incredible. You know, if, if you wrote that in a book, like when you do intermittent fasting, your old scars that you've had for 30 years are going to go away. That sounds fake. <laughs> You would never make that claim, but it's happening to people. Anyway, I love it. Quick plug as well. I've become more interested in the fibroids as well because I've been researching it in relation to my serapeptase product because there's a lot of studies on serapeptase and fibroids and being a fibrinolytic. Wait, fibrinolytic means it's breaking down fibroid, right? Oh, I don't know. Sounds like it to me. I'd been researching that process a lot more. And with serapeptase being an enzyme that breaks down proteins, it makes sense that when it goes into your bloodstream, it can actually help break down fibroids. And I've noticed, I'm really excited because I wasn't sure if it was going to be affecting this mole that I have on my nose, but it is, I think it, it is actually making it go down, which is very, very impressive. But I think that might be another, if you're looking to potentially address scars and such, therapeutic enzymes like serapeptase 
might be something as well to try and to synergize your fast and that whole process. So mine is at avalonx.us if you would like to get it. All right. Anything else about scars? Have you had any scars go away? You know, I've often examined my scars, trying to see, and I don't really know. I didn't have like a ton of scars, but like there is one on my hand that I've had since I was a little girl, and I do think it's not as raised as it used to be. I cut my hand um, when I was at Girl Scout camp <laughs> with a, I was like slicing an orange and I had a new like little Girl Scout knife, you know, and back then they just gave knives to children and here's your knife. <laughs> and I'm like slicing my hand. Maybe that's why they don't give knives to children anymore. Was it really traumatic? I know. I mean, what, you know, no, it wasn't traumatic. I just always had that scar from it. That was all. And it wasn't that it was traumatic. It's just that I knew. It just sounds traumatic if you still have the scar this long. I mean, I cut my hand pretty badly. I think it used to be thicker than it is now. Now you can see it, but it's not as thick. So I don't know. I think it's pretty obvious if it's like, you know, a ropey scar from kidney surgery or from a C-section, it would be more apparent. Whereas for me, it's just, I just have little scars here and there. The other reason, like speaking of the enzymes and and this mole that I have on my nose, what's interesting about it is it's skin color. You, can, you can't even really see it. Like I see it more than anybody People probably don't even notice it. The only time it super went away, like it went away, was when I was in my my high pineapple phase. Like when I was eating a ton of pineapple, which contains bromelain, which is a protein digesting enzyme, it went away. And when I stopped eating, well, that's interesting. I know when I stopped eating the pineapple and switched to, I went low carb and then I went high carb again, but I've been eating blueberries. I want to go back onto a pineapple diet and see if it really does go away again. There's really a benefit to protein digesting potential of things, be it autophagy, be it enzymes like serapeptase, be it bromelain. Those really can work magic in your body for breaking down, you know, these old dysfunctional unused proteins and scars. We just have to give our body time to do it. Exactly. That's the thing. If you're eating all the time, like I did yesterday, we're recording the day after Christmas. I sure enjoyed my window. <laughs> it was long, long, long. <laughs> what did you have? Oh, it was such a good day, though. You know, we always start with, I have this cheese and sausage balls recipe. It's like... Oh, my mom used to make those. We have them every Christmas. My grandmother made them. It's cheddar cheese, spicy sausage, and like a Bisquick kind of a thing. Although this year we didn't use Bisquick brand because I didn't have any, so we got a different brand, and it actually was better. So you just mix that together and bake it. And they're so good. So I started, they came out of the oven at 9 a.m. And they're never as good as the moment they come out of the oven. Like they're going to be okay later. They're still going to be delicious, but never. So I'm like, all right, window open. So I started at 9 a.m. And um, then we went over to my dad's for, we have a brunch every year. So we had, you know, the brunch, came home and probably I wasn't hungry again. You know, I did a little nibbling here and there while we were at the brunch. Like, oh, I'm going to have this olive. And oh, I want to have this. They had these pickled green beans that were spicy. And I, I loved them. So I kept eating those green beans. <laughs> you know, eating early in the morning, then I was so tired. So like mid-afternoon, we were, it was like 2 o'clock. She's like, do you want me to make some more coffee? My stepmother. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so because my window was open, I had like a more of a, hot milkshake kind of coffee. It was like dessert. So then I was like even more tired right after that because of the, the sugar. And then I came home and I wasn't hungry at all till probably 
I don't know. I was hungry again and had dinner maybe at like 6 p.m. Leftovers from Christmas Eve dinner. It wasn't a lot, but then I closed my window. I did have some champagne, Chad, and I played cards. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it was a really like 9 p.m. to maybe 7 p.m. by the time I finished with the champagne. Dry Farm Wines? Oh, yeah. It was Dry Farm. It absolutely was. I haven't had their champagne. They send it to me sometimes. I haven't had it, though. Is it good? And then I re-gift it because I'm not a champagne person. Oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah, but my fridge is fully stocked right now. So <laughs> so that was good. But even so, it felt like I was eating for like forever. But 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. is 10 hours. And really, that's not that's not long. You know, like people are like eight-hour windows, fasting. So, you know, anyway, a 10-hour window felt like the longest window ever. But today I'm still fasting. So right now I'm at, let me think about it. While the time we're recording, if I've been fasting since seven, I'm at 20 right now. It's so interesting how, you know, if you have a more indulgent day, just how effective fasting can, like it really feels like it's just cleaning out. It can really, really quickly just reset you. And I, I'm hesitant at saying that because it, I think people can be like that you're trying to undo damage by over-restricting. And it's not that at all. It's just that when you have this fasted period, I'm just always really impressed, impressed by how fasting can make me feel. Well, you know, think about ADF. Honestly, ADF is having an up day. Like yesterday, Christmas day was like an up day. And then today I'm not having a down day today, but I could, but that's, you know, that's the whole plan. Big eating day, small eating day, big eating day, small eating day, and you alternate it. And it's not like you're binging and then making up for it and binging and making up for it. I mean, I didn't binge yesterday. There was no binging. I ate longer and more and differently than I normally eat. Those green beans were probably one of the few vegetables I had. (laughs) Really, now that I think about it, (laughs) weren't a lot of vegetables on the plate. I did have pumpkin pie. Does that count? It's pumpkin. We're going to count it. Did you know that that's something else I learned? Oh, did you get your Farmer Lee Jones book? I did. Oh my God, that's a beautiful book. Isn't it amazing? Yes. It's really an encyclopedia of vegetables. That's how I described it. I have a friend who lives in UK. Shout out to Lucy. She teaches cooking and she's a chef herself and she always has the most beautiful food. She's in my Delight on Tonight community and um, was a Facebook moderator before that. So I've known her for a while But I was like, Lucy, you need this book. She's like, well, I'm on cookbook restriction. I'm not allowed to get any more cookbooks. I'm like, well, this is not a cookbook, even though it has recipes. I would not call it a cookbook. So she asked for it for Christmas, and I'm pretty sure she got it. The reason I'm thinking about it, I think he says that the majority of canned pumpkin, I think it's not pumpkin. I think it's, I think that's yam usually. Well, I don't care. I had yam. Whatever I had, it was orange and delicious. I have the best pumpkin pie recipe that I just found this year. It is so good. You know how most pumpkin pie has a regular crust? Yes. I'm now making it. I I thought, wouldn't it be good with graham cracker crust? So I Googled it to see if anyone had had that idea. And I found, you know, Bobby Flay. Wait, 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 wait. I thought they're always graham cracker crust. That's what I was going to say. No. uh Uh-uh. Pumpkin pie is usually regular crust. Oh, that's funny. You said that. And I was like, yeah, graham cracker crust. Maybe that's the way your your parents, your mom makes it. I don't know. But I'd never seen it that way. In our family, it's always just a regular crust. And so it's kind of like blah, you know. So I Googled it and it was a throwdown. You know, he had that throwdown where he would have people competing to make the best pumpkin pie. And this was like, I think, the winning recipe. 
And of course, I, I did tweak the spices that I used a little bit. I did a little bit differently, but homemade graham cracker crust, I will never buy a graham cracker crust again. I'd never made one from scratch. I mean, you're still starting with graham crackers, right? But it's still, it's cleanish because <laughs> even though they're processed graham crackers, you're using real butter and you know it's, it's got a lot fewer additives than like a pre-made graham crack cracker crust would. And it was so much more delicious. And then the pumpkin filling, it's like, you know, real pumpkin and heavy cream and pumpkin pie spice. And oh my God, it was good. Egg. You know, it's really funny. I know we're like way over time, but one more thing. One of the brands sent me a, it was like a credit for this, uh, what was it called? Treat box or something. And you can go online and like pick out what you want. And it's a lot of like normal stuff that people would get in treat boxes, like treats and cheese and like fun little gadgets, but they had a meat and seafood section. I see why they do it, why the company does it, because you can get more than the credit they gave you. So you can like, you know, make the box even bigger. So I got for the box, I got like wild caught salmon and scallops and cod. And it ended up costing me so much money because I was like, oh, I want all of this. Yeah, that's how they get you. I know. But it was pretty funny. That's a good Christmas gift. So, all right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. So a few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the show, you can directly email questions at iapodcast.com or you can go to iapodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can get all the stuff that we like at iPodcast.com slash stuff we like. And then again, these show notes, which will have links to everything we talked about, will be at iPodcast.com slash episode 247. All righty. Well, anything from you, Jen, before we go? No, I think that's it. I did just yawn because after having such a big eating day, I'm not quite as glycogen depleted as I usually am at hour 20. Oh, I hear you. I'm going to tell you right after we hang up one of the presents that I got that you will think is funny. Ooh, I can't wait to hear it. But listeners can't know. (laughs) Up. Dun, dun, dun. All right. All right. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful, and I will talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.